Hello, and welcome to the Loft Gathering Podcast. We are excited to welcome you to our authority series. Here we will be talking about the contents of our mind, mouth, attitude, and life actions, and how these are the staples to further understand our authority in God's kingdom. Get ready to have your thinking challenged and your faith turned up. Here's Lisa. We're going to talk about the authority to witness today. The book of Acts teaches us that the Holy Spirit came on the disciples, and it came on for a purpose, to be witnesses for him, for him in, in Judea and, and Jerusalem, Judea, what is it, Samaria and the ends of the earth, or however it goes, you know. What are the three places? You guys know what I'm talking about. Here's the thing. It's close to home. It's in, the, it's in your personal sphere. I don't have the sphere of influence that you have. You don't have the sphere of influence that I have. But God has given each one of us the authority, the responsibility. See, God is good. He doesn't just give us responsibility with no authority to to fulfill what he calls us to do. So he's called us each and every one to be ministers of what? Reconciliation. See, we're memorizing it, and that's great. And once it gets from our head and drops down into our heart, then we actually become that. We become a minister of reconciling people with God out in the world today. And it's a powerful thing. And I don't know if you're aware, but we live in a culture today that largely has rejected their need for salvation. That doesn't mean they don't need a savior. And it definitely doesn't negate our responsibility to speak the truth in love. And so, you know, as as we're thinking about this kind of stuff today, you know, I pray that it gets on the inside of you in such a way that that you become this instrument of God, that you, that you fall in love with Jesus. You know, that's why we preach love so much. You're never going to do anything unless you feel him leading you and moving you. We love him. We need him like water. We need him like our breath. Jesus is an all or nothing, Jesus. He's an all or nothing. Because when you're halfway in and halfway out, you're halfway everything. But when you're all in, man, he leads you into like the paths of righteousness for his own name's sake. That somebody else might catch on to what you're saying and what you're speaking and how you're living. Because the world has decided they don't need a savior. It is our job to let them know that they surely do. And I think maybe we just don't know how to do that. Maybe we just forgot. Maybe, you know, over all these last few years of social media press, we forgot that we also have a voice. You know, I mean, if you think about it, people online are a lot bolder than people are to your face. They accused Paul of that, too, when he was writing. They'd be like, wow, you're a lion on, the, on your letters, but you're like a lamb in person. That's how it goes. Why don't you take that same initiative and be a lion? No one's coming to get you. You can be bold here. You can listen to the Holy Spirit to prompt you and speak your truth in love. You know, the word of God is penetrable. It goes into the soul. It separates people from their stuff, and God's able to get in and move in their hearts. Isn't that cool? It's beyond cool. So here's what I was going to do. Um, just to get started, I've asked a few of you to, to share your testimony. There's, you know, think about it like this. When, when parents leave their kid, their oldest kid at home, I was the oldest kid, Four, four siblings. I'm the oldest kid, two brothers in the middle, little sister. And all growing up, when my parents would leave, guess who was in charge? Me. I was like, yes. 
And so it would be like, make sure the house doesn't burn down. Make sure the kids don't hurt each other. And you're in charge. Well, you're given permission then. So I felt like if I had to wash my brother's mouth out with soap, I was ready, willing, and able to do that and have done that. If I needed to tackle my brother down and sit on his chest and, like, let spit come down over him and suck it back up right before it hit him, and sometimes I accidentally couldn't get it back. But if I had to do whatever I had to do to make sure that the house stayed intact and that things were in order when my parents came home, and and for my parents' sake, they were willing to risk the house burning down because they had to get out. They had to have a a night out. It's kind of like that with Jesus except not not in a humorous way, but in a much more severe way, that he left us in charge when he ascended. And he was like, don't let the house burn down, guys, as long as everybody makes it. What are we going to do to reach our hand out and make sure that the thing doesn't burn down? Because we are the stewards. What? This is good news. This is, not, this is not overwhelming in our responsibility load. It's good news. And once we understand it to the core, we actually get free. There's a freedom in this kind of talk. There's a, an authority and a freedom in this kind of a gift that we have to bring to people. So what does the book of Revelation say? They overcome him, the devil. Do you believe in the devil? Sure do. Don't like him. Not a fan. But I believe that he exists. And I know how to overcome him by the blood of the Lamb Jesus and by the word of my testimony and that I won't even love my own life even if I die. (laughs) That's a big talk, preacher. It is big talk. And we keep confessing it until we become, right? So I just wanted to ask some of you to come. Rick, you come up first. Come up first. Rick goes, Lisa, I don't have a sexy testimony. And I go, I don't need sex at church. I just need it to be good. I need it to glorify God. And I need to hear what happened to you and who spoke over your life. Because what I know about testimonies is that they always involve another person. Because in our lifetime, you know what you are? Have you ever seen those huge, like, domino things that people set out? Like, they fill the whole entire room, and you don't knock it over until you're ready. And then you knock it over, and it's like, plink. And then all the dominoes go out. Can you see that in your mind? So what your job is, is your one domino in the whole beautiful thing. And when it's your job, all you have to do is blink. And then the next thing happens, and the next thing happens, and the next thing happens, and God's in charge of the beauty of the whole thing, right? How did you come to Jesus? What's your story? What do you want to tell us this morning about it, Rick? Well, so a lot of, some of you folks know my parents. Uh, So I was raised in the church from the time I was like a little kid. I mean, there was never a time that I can remember where there wasn't prayer, Rex Humbard or somebody going on, right, in, the, in my household. So to me, I, when I said I didn't have a sexy testimony, I, I wasn't, I was not the guy out there kidnapping people, you know, with vomited my beard or something, you know, like a couple of my friends, you know. <clears throat> I didn't have that crazy um, testimony where, where, you know, I became like radically saved. Um, so, I, you know, I was raised in this. And so for me, growing up, it was a logical process because I learned the word and I learned who God is through academics and through my parents and through being in church a million times a week all the time, right? Always. I know there's some folk in here that can identify with that. So, and I'm sorry, I'm making you move the camera. 
so anyway, I would like to, I guess my, my thing is, you know, from, a, um, from growing up, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge, different sort of a challenge as a, as a person who's just been raised in the church. It becomes a, an academic reality as opposed to a life-changing, like Jesus getting a hold of you and just changing your heart like overnight, immediately just like, you know, because it, it tends to be more, I, I believe anyway, it's more of a challenge for somebody who, academics stay up here, right? They just stay in your head and they don't always get trickled down into your heart. And it took a long time in my life where I, you know, I felt like I was a good person. I did the right things. Uh, I knew all the right stuff. Um, I could teach a Sunday school class. I could do all these things from the time I was a young man. Played in bands that we went out and we evangelized and preached the gospel and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I was still just doing it because I was taught to do it. Really just doing it. And it wasn't really until I started reading some books by some of these authors like um, Brendan Manning, for example, that I started to understand the love of God. And that was just revelational to me because it wasn't academic. You can't just, you don't get to just learn that. You can't just put it on paper and say, okay, I understand the love of God. This, yeah, it just, when you sit there and you realize just how absolutely unworthy that you are, it makes you emotional. It changes. Emotional is not academic, right? And it starts to just change the way you perceive God and, and, and just how much you need him and how hopeless you are without him, right? And so to me, that's, that's my testimony is, is a lifelong journey to try to draw in to this love of God and, and a relationship with him. And, and there are days that I'm really not good at it, I promise you. Um, don't hang out with me at work. Just saying. Thank you, Rick. Okay. Yeah, I know. We like to clap for people. So one, one thing about this testimony, and some of you have it, grew up in church your whole life. You, you cut your teeth on the back of the pew. So you've always known God. You've always been around God. Okay, let me tell you something. You're a legacy. And you're the second generation or the third of the goodness of God. You know, the sins of the father go three generations, but the blessing of God goes a thousand generations. And you started something in the domino effect. You're a legacy, Rick. Mm. Amanda. Amanda. It's a very different testimony coming up next. And also, think you hear the people, when Rick was telling me his testimony, he said, man, I just had my parents and the people of church pouring in the word, pouring in the word, like my whole life, my whole life, preachers, pastors, my parents, pouring the word of God into my life, my whole life. There's always somebody else connected to salvation, okay? And you are the connection for someone. That's the takeaway of the, of the things. Tell us your story. And this, I love this too. So take your time, tell the whole thing, okay? Okay, so unlike Rick and some people, I didn't grow up in church. Didn't, you know, wasn't exposed to it or anything like that. First time I walked into the doors of the church was because my friend Vanessa continued to send an invite out on Facebook. Join me at church. Join me at church. Join me at church. I was like, okay. You know, in my life, I was feeling like things were missing. Things were out of control. You know, I had two kids. I was a single mom. All these things. And I was like, what could go wrong? I'm going to go into this church. So into this church, sat down. First worship song that I experienced, I cried through the whole song. Had no idea why. Had 
had no idea. Kim was with me. Kim joined me. And I'm like, no, I, you know, it's strange. I'm like looking around like, what is this? You know, kept it to myself. Nobody needs to know that I cried in church. So I thought, okay, I'm in this church. I'm going to find, I'm going to find God. I'm going to find Jesus. I'm going to do all this. So I placated. I joined all the groups. I joined all the serving. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to find Jesus, right? I'm going to find him in the mop. I'm going to find him in the children's area. I'm going to find him in this book group. But I was basically just attending things. I didn't really have anybody above me. I really wasn't connected to a lot of people at the church, so to speak. Like, I didn't feel like I had any mentors or anything like that. So I thought, this is how it goes. This is the way we go to church. I get up. I go on Sunday. I sit. I sing. They tell me what to read. I go home. I read that Bible verse. Cool. Check, check, check. Um, fast forward to, I want to say, two years when I came to the loft. So I knew Lisa from the other church, and she started the loft, and she kind of reached out, and she said, you know, come, come to church. We're going to do this thing, and I want you to be a part of it. So I'm like, okay, you know, what's going to be different? I'm going to do go to church, do the same thing. I'm going to placate. I'm going to have this facade on the outside. Everybody's going to think I'm a good Christian because I'm serving. I'm reading the Bible verses. What do you want me to do? You want me to do it, then you tell me, and I'll do it, and they'll think, yeah, she knows Jesus. So... My real first experience of actually knowing Jesus was at a ladies' group. So I connected at the loft. We were doing all kinds of things. We are being poured into tremendously by the leadership team, by Lisa, by Christine, by Angie when she came along. <laughs> but all these people, Christy, Stacy, all of these strong women were pouring into me. And it was like, man, I want what they have. How come they have this relationship with Jesus and I don't? I'm checking off the boxes. I'm going to church. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. Well, when you're doing all the things that you're supposed to do and not the things that Jesus wants you to do, you're really not going to have a relationship. So we were sitting at a ladies' group. It was a getaway. And it was a small ladies' group. So, you know, you got to spend time with ladies. You got to be vulnerable. You got to, a little scary. But, you know, I went and did it because this is what I'm supposed to do. And Christy was reading to us the Song of Solomon, and it was talking about the relationship and the love of God and the love that God has for us, especially. And I sat there and I cried because it wasn't like, you know, all the things that I thought it was going to be this relationship with Jesus. It was a flood. It was a rush. It was, they probably thought I was crazy. I think when we talk about this, I was laughing, I was crying and they're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. But at that moment, it was like, I felt you're loved, you're accepted, you're, you know, this, you're my child, you're, you're fine the way you are, all these things that you're trying to change and all these things that you're trying to do is not you, be you, and I'm going to love you no matter what. And the best thing about that was this time when I had this experience, not like the first time, I had a group of strong people who knew Jesus and knew God to walk me through this journey that, yeah, what you're feeling is normal. That's, that's a connection. That's, Jesus has got you. And it's like totally different than the first time because then I learned how to walk that. It wasn't just like an, oh, aha moment. Now this going back to check a box, go to church. There was good conversations. There was people feeding into me. And to me, I think that was the most important part of my story was I didn't get lost when I had this moment. I had people who would help me with the walk. I wasn't expected to walk it alone because that's what I thought you did. You went to church, you did all this stuff, you sat in the pew, you listened to the songs, you worshiped, you went home, you read your Bible, and you figured it out on your own. But it was getting into a place with, especially for me, 
women who'd walked the walk longer, women who were stronger, but it was women of all different kind of things. I realized my Christianity wasn't cookie cutter. I didn't have to make it look like everybody else, that it is what it is, and I am who I am, and Jesus is going to love me anyway. That's so good. Thank you. Now, when she was telling me her story, she goes, well, I guess the first time I gave Jesus my, my heart is, I mean, like he captured it when we were at the lake trip. And he just came with his overwhelming presence and his love, and she found out that it was personal this way, helpful this way, personal this way. So I loved that. Todd, you want to come up here? You guys, does this help? I hope it helps. It should help because there's, there's something transformative that helps you overcome when you hear a testimony because a testimony is the way we break down walls and chains and we, we start to understand one another clearer and better. All the glory belongs to God in the whole thing, right? Okay, Todd, tell us how you came to know Jesus and then how your life has been impactful to others. Also, Todd is a professional speaker and teacher. This might be a while. Get comfortable. Hi, my name is Todd. <laughs> so in a nutshell, let's see. Break it down. Reader's Digest. Um, I did not grow up in the church. I grew up in a, well, my parents were churched, but then they stopped going to church when I was a baby. So I did not grow up in the church, but there were Bibles in the house. I learned how to, how to look stuff up in the Bible somewhere along the way, um, but didn't go that way. When I was in the Navy, before I finished my Navy term, um, in the early 90s, I was seeking God. I was going to Bible studies. I was, I was talking to people that uh, I had a friend that I actually met right after boot camp and had been in touch with him for over the years. And, and, um, and he was, he has his own powerful testimony. And in all of those things, nobody ever said, hey, Todd, do you know Jesus? Not once. Um, which is tragic. Um, and that's your point, is that we need to be living and we need to be sharing the love of God and do you know Jesus. But um, <clears throat> after I got out of the Navy and went sideways for a while, um, the thing that got me back into church was when my eight-year-old son wanted to get baptized because his grandmother was taking him to church every week. And he wanted to be baptized. But he didn't want a woman holding his hand. So he asked me if I would take him up to the pool and, you know, in front of the church and get baptized. So I did. And it was pretty moving. And having put my foot in the threshold and did not burn in a rush of fire, my ex-mother-in-law invited me to Sunday school, which was a single Sunday school. And I thought, why not? I'm single. I need to meet people. <laughs> and I, there's probably some details in there, but I went. And, um, and in fact, I was very shy and kept to myself. Oh, wait, no, that's somebody else. I was very outgoing, and I talked to everybody that was there and, and got plugged right in with, you know, holding doors open and doing stuff like that. There was at least one really intimidating lady that was there in this floor-length dress and these white shoes and she wondered why I wouldn't hug her. And the answer is because she was out of my class. And, hi, how are you? We didn't like hug for nothing. It was Julie. We met in that class. But I wasn't saved yet. So I was just coming and going through, the checking the boxes. Where did Amanda go? I was just checking the boxes. And, and um, 
it wasn't real. I mean, I'm intellectually, I can read this book and, and all that. But um, I was also doing Amway at the time. So I was wearing suits and ties and dressing the part and being very businessy. And, and I went on an Amway weekend retreat in October of 96. And on Sunday morning with 10,000 people at the Arco Arena having a Sunday morning service, I had gone with the people that were my my group, you know, whatever, my upline and their people, and um, listened to this guy give his testimony, and uh, as he's talking, I'm sitting in a chair, and we were, you know, a ways back and elevated, and, and I'm looking down at the stage, and, I, and I'm, like, super focused on this guy that was telling my story. He His story was my story. I'm like, how does this guy know me? I'm the only one. I'm the only one that walks this walk. Well, you're not. Now, I know intellectually that's just, that's, you know, wrong on so many levels. But this guy is telling my story, so I'm totally identified, really keyed in. This guy knows exactly what he's talking about. He's got it going on. He's lived what I've lived, and he's no longer living it. Wow. And then this woman came up, and she sang a song. And I'm telling you, it's Via De La Rosa. And she sang the whole thing in Italian. Temi. No one else heard it in Italian, but I did. It's a God thing, because she sang the whole thing in Italian. I knew exactly what she was singing. I don't speak Italian. When she finished, they had an altar call, and I was out of my seat like a shot. I ran. I literally got up and ran down to the altar. I'm at the front. I mean, I'm like right up in the, I mean, I was right up to the stage. And so they had the altar call. A bunch of other people came down, and, and they, you know, invited us to say the sinner's prayer and walked us through that and then, you know, guided us, hey, if it's the first time, go over there, get some Bibles and blah, blah, blah. And so tears running down my face, full of snot and everything else, and, and knew that something had broken. And I turned around, and all the people that I went with were in a little semicircle around me. They had come down to support me to give my heart to Jesus. And that was really touching and really, really the thing. Um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. <clears throat> so that was how I got saved. And that opened the door for all kinds of great things. And she would have not had anything to do with me if I hadn't gotten saved. And then that was in October. And it took me all the way until February to get clean and sober, which I did. And interestingly enough, in the early part of sobriety and, and recovery is learning some life skills and learning how to build healthy relationships. And we became friends, and it was two full years from when I got saved, two years and a month after I got saved, we got uh, engaged. No, we got married, right? Two years, two years later, we got married. It was a year we got engaged, and then another year we got married. And, um, and now we're 24. 24 years coming up, so that's good stuff. But along the path, I learned some scriptures that that have held me together. And um, I was just fessing up to Scott this morning that um, uh, Tuesday night I smoked cigarettes and decided that was it. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, day five. Day five. Yay. Because my testimony is useless if I'm living a life that's full of garbage. That's things that I can control. And this is definitely something I can control. And first three steps of recovery, and I can't, God can, I'm going to let him. And I'm really just holding on to that. 
So don't want to disappoint God. Don't want to disappoint my wife. Don't want to disappoint my doctor. Oh, oh, and me too in there somewhere. So in 2015, um, I went with my pastor to Thailand. He's going over to teach, and I went as an armor bearer for him and to help him. And some things had happened in that last year of 2014 going into 15 where Julie and I got in a, in a place where we were um, dealing with situations. And one of them was one of the situations that I created, which was this ridiculous mountain of debt due to bad choices and, um, and events out of my control. And... We were stuck. We can't go anywhere with this debt. It was, it was um, prison, monetary prison, basically. So we got in a prayer of agreement with a lady in church where the three of us sat and talked it out, explained everything to her so that she would understand. And then we prayed and we put it before God that, God, you, this is in, on you. It's beyond me. I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do, but this, this mountain has to go away. And we agreed in prayer that this was going to happen. And then it took six months of painful waiting. It was hard. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We are powerful. Because um, our strength rose. We waited on the Lord. We waited on the Lord. We waited on the Lord. And finally, miraculously, without doing anything on our part except waiting on the Lord, this six-figure debt was forgiven. Can't explain it. Except God. Except God. So a year or so later, maybe less than a year, less than a year, I went to Thailand. And in Thailand, I had a chance to speak um, four, five, five days, four days, four days for an hour at a time, um, which kind of gave Pastor a break. I think that's all it was. Go talk for an hour so I can take a break. I got up and got in front of this group of, of Bible school students and gave my testimony and and. That was part of my testimony at the time in one of the, in the, I think the first day that God is faithful and God will answer your prayers and God does. And I gave that part of my testimony that God stepped in and relieved us from a debt. I had no idea. I always talk about the faithfulness of God, but I have no idea what would happen. The next day, this woman gets up and she gives her testimony that she got her husband back. And she was actually giving the testimony to pastor when he was up. I was over on the side. She got her husband back. Well, the deal is, um, oh, I, it's out of order. Sorry. The next day, this guy gets up. Sorry, I haven't told that in a while. He, I was, but, you know, I make mistakes in class, too. The um, God forgives. Um, he didn't let me make a mistake. He caught me before. The, this man gets up and he t and he testifies in class that his he heard my testimony and if God can do it for me God can do it for him because he was in a similar place of, of enormous debt in their world of finances it was not as big as debt as mine in U.S. dollars but it was as big to him as it, as mine was to me and and he realized that you know he'd struggled and how's he going to do with it and how what's he going to do and he realized. God will do this. If I trust God, God will do this. And that gave him a hope and a perspective about who God is and the, and the enormity of God. There's no mountain too big. There's no mountain too small. God meets our needs, one and all. And that rhymes. The, um, I'm professional. The, um, the next day, so day three, 
this man's wife gets up and her testimony is that she got her husband back because the stress and weight that left him from my testimony to him, and after he gave his testimony, he was he shed it. He let go of all of that stress. He was himself. He was laughing. He was, he was loving. And so she got up and gave her testimony that she got her husband back. And this is the testimony to testimony to testimony. So you talk about the power of testimony. We walk in it. We breathe it. It's what we do. We have to share with others so that others can experience the reality of God, so that others can, can share their reality of God with someone else because we're just dominoes. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Chad. Okay, one more. I know this is like the bulk of what I wanted to do today, so I'm happy with it. I'm going to give you a few practical ways to share your testimony as you go out of here today and a couple scriptures. But I wanted Stacey to, to, to wrap it up. How did you come to know God, and how did you come to know God again? <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, a lot of you know, you've heard my testimony. I'll try to be... Uh, as brief as possible. I, I did grow up in church. I, um, I probably went with my grandma first when I was really little, but I went with my mom. I, she started going when I was like two or three. So I was pretty small. And when she got saved, it was kind of a snowball effect. She was like, well, I don't want her in public school because the, of course the church had a Christian school. So God made a way. He's so good to for me to be enrolled in school there. So I was there every day of my life, every day for like 11 years, uh, for like at least 10 years until I switched to go to public school. I finally got to go, but, um, uh, gave me a little break, but so I literally grew up in church. I had the same thing as Rick. Um, I had the education, uh, which I'm so grateful for now, looking back, having the biblical biblical foundation of a Christian school, uh, because I really understand a lot more. But then it was just like, I felt like it was being shoved at me and I had to choose it. And I had, I had many opportunities to come to really have a relationship with God. So I always tell my testimony like this when I'm talking to somebody, I grew up knowing about God, but I never really knew God my whole life until, I mean, I had moments you know, just like any, any other time where God made a way and he provided something for me. Like I got to go to England. I, when I was really little, I was tender and I had a heart and I really wanted to go on missions trips. And I thought I'm going to be a missionary. And, but I still didn't, and, and I did pray and I did ask God for things and he did move. And somewhere along the way, I just, I saw so much. I let what humans do affect my perception of God. And I, and that's where a lot of people lose it because we're so disappointed in people. We can't see past that, that God is not a disappointer. So we start to question things. We're like, well, your word says this, and I'm seeing these people living this way, but they're getting blessed. And my parents aren't getting blessed, and they're actually doing this stuff that they're teaching. So I don't like that. So I reject God. So I walked away, and I, I chose a totally debaucherous lifestyle intentionally. And I had, I had, when I did that, I entered into a really depressive mindset. I, I struggled with depression. I struggled with anxiety, but then I was conditioned in my own mind. Nobody ever said this to me, but it was kind of like a known fact that you can't, you can't be wrong. You can't be not okay. You have to be okay. Like your faith will sustain you. And if your faith can't sustain you and you're telling me that you're struggling with something, you're in error. 
So I couldn't abide by that because I'm such a people pleaser by nature. I was like, nobody can know that I'm struggling with this stuff. So it crippled me emotionally. I could never talk about it. So I knew about God, but then I felt this way. And I saw these things and I was like, God cannot be real. Like there were parts of me that was like, maybe he is, but he's so far away from me. Like I can't, I can't reach him. So I went through this time. I moved, I moved out of the country. I moved back. I moved to Colorado. I moved um, to St. Louis and I was here for a little while before I moved back to Colorado and I made some great friends. David Paterka became one of my closest friends. I mean, on Facebook, he's listed as my brother, like actual sibling, because I have never had a guy friend who I didn't crush on because I had so many problems with the father God thing, you know? I know, So I was always looking for that void to be filled, but David was different. David was the one truest male friend that I ever had that loved me in spite of the decisions I was making. He could see past all that to my heart and know that obviously I had some hurts and he can't solve them. And the only way he knows how to do it is to love me as a friend and to see me through. And I, and I'll tell you what, for, we've been friends for so long. I mean, 15 years, 12 years, something like that. Um, and, and it wasn't overnight. Like this was years. I still struggled. I was still going out. I was sleeping around. Sorry guys. I love you. Um, I was just trying to always find that thing. And, but I would still go to church on Sundays. I moved to Colorado. I was still going to church and I was at Flatirons and the pastor, everyone said this in their testimony, the love of God, discovering the love of God, academics, they're not emotional relationships can be emotional, but it's not like this. This is different. There's something that gets around every false emotion, every false imprisonment, and it breaks down walls inside of you. And makes you feel vulnerable and like you're seen. And it's the love of God. And when you experience the love of God, Kim Walker Smith says it, when you, if you've ever experienced the love of God, you would know it because you would never be the same. 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 You would be changed forever because you've encountered a love that surpasses anything we can understand. And so that happened to me. I was sitting in that room and I, I had, had my friendship with David, my parents just really loving me through everything, you know. And I did some crazy stuff, y'all. I'm not telling it on here. If you want to know, you need to come ask me. But I did some crazy things, um, just out of my mind things. I can't believe that I, that I did now looking back and had a real repentance moment. God brought, brought me a lot of healing through this. And it was the relationships I had were, were the foreshadowing, like in a movie, that was going to bring me to where I could experience the love of God and what it really meant. And, and the love of God changed my whole world. And I realized that I wanted to know him. I didn't want to just know about him. I wanted to know him. And I had a real emotional moment. I called my mom later that day, and I was like, I was in church today, and I really, like, gave my heart to God. And this was, like, in 2015. And then I moved back to St. Louis and with my job, and I have been here ever since. And Look at me now. That's great. Thank you guys, everybody, for sharing. And I just have everybody do that. And I, I know it takes a little time. I mean, that's the bulk of what, what we're going to talk about today. People have a testimony. You have one. 
You know, you can you can tell the long version. You can tell the short one. You you know what for me? What happens to me? This even happened just over the weekend. I went with one of my friends to get some little baby cardinal clothes for her soon-to-be-born grandson. And while we're at the counter, there is a there is a young man there, and he had his hair all grown out, kind of like you know, reminded me of my husband's hair when we when we first met each other a long time ago. This is just amazing, like mullet. It was like great. And I was like, dude, your hair is killer. He was probably 20. He goes, thanks. He goes, I've been growing it out since I graduated. When did you graduate? 2019. Oh. Now, here's the thing. I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. I've been given the power to witness. So I don't come on like a dump truck and come pour it on every single person that I see. I don't just ram it. I'm not like a ramrod. I'm not just going to ram it down somebody's throat. If someone isn't open, I don't do that because I don't throw down pearls and let pigs trample all over it. That's special to me. I hold it. But when I feel the Holy Spirit saying, there you go, and I feel that, then I step in, you know. And here's what he said. And this happens to me in the summer. It doesn't happen in the winter because no one knows. He goes, he goes, I like your sleeve. I have my, my tattoos. My tattoos are a great conversation starter. People that never even talk will talk to you if you have tattoos, if they have tattoos, if they like it. And I was like, thanks. I go, all of my t- tattoos have a faith story. Pick one. I'll tell you the story. He says, mermaid. Almost everybody says that because it's huge. And he goes, mermaid. Tell me how that relates to faith. And I was like, gladly. And I'm like, I got him now. You know, <laughs> I was like, the mermaid is a creature of submersion. She's completely and utterly immersed. And Jesus is like that. All or nothing. And I just gave my whole life to him. Immersion. That's what the mermaid stands for. Symbol. And, you know, you do it in your way. I do it in my way. You know, however it comes. But the thing is, do it. You know, the, there's different kinds of things you can do. Like, like, maybe you don't know what to say. People are, they love a conversation. People love to talk about themselves. Todd showed us that, you know. I'm just kidding. People love to do it, and and they want to, and we want to hear. We want to connect, you know. So you find that place where there's a sweet spot, and maybe along the way, you know, like for me, that that's a door opener. Well, in the winter, I got to find something else because no one can see any tattoos, right? So I still got to trust the Holy Spirit. I still got to trust that I'm empowered, that I have authority to witness, that I've been given the responsibility to be a minister of reconciliation. I'm here for a lot more than Netflix and chilling, although I enjoy that. But I'm here for so much more. This life is a vapor. There's eternity hanging in the balance. And I'm the instrument of God. And all I got to do when it's my turn is plink. And that's all you got to do. So maybe you bring it to something like, hey, do you believe in God? That's how I do it. I'll be like, do you believe in God? And a lot of times people say, yeah, I believe in God. And a lot of times people say, no. And I like both conversations because I'm either here to feed or seed or water what somebody else put down, or I'm ready to close it. If it, I'm a closer, baby. If it's time, if, I, if somebody else seeded the ground and somebody else watered it, and then I come along, love that. But most of the time, I'm scattering seed and I'm watering seed all the time. The good seed of God falling on the hearts of men, right? So that's a question. Do you believe in God? And it's an opener. And I think we're so paralyzed because we've realized the world has rejected salvation. They don't need it anymore. But all they do. Because without salvation, you are lost in chaos. Without salvation, without believing in God, you're left to your own mind. Your own, you who can't even make one flower. 
and you leave everything up to your will and your way and what you want and what you think, it's very depressing. That's why over 60-something percent of Americans are on drugs for anti-depression, you know? Beloved, it ought not be so. What if we cast our cares on God and we don't let anxiety be something in our heart? Look, I've dealt with it myself, and I'm, I'm a fan of medicine to get you through while you're on your knees in your faith walk, figuring out what caused that anxiety in your heart. Anxiety is fear-based, you know? If all the things we're going to be afraid of, it shouldn't be the power of our testimony. The, nobody can take that from you. No one can take that. No one can deny it. No one can debate it. No one can cast it down. You know why? Because it's yours, and you live through it. You know, I've heard, I've heard people say, man, you believe in Jesus? That's a fairy tale. That's, that's not even real. People know that's not real anymore. People will say that, especially young people. And I'll be like, wow, well, just the thought of him changed my life then. If he's just a thought, if that's a, it changed my life. How? Well, I used to be broken. I used to be really just like a waif of a girl. But I came to this place of, of knowing the love of God. And I let it come in, and I let him forgive me for my sin. See, everybody has this common ground of sin. And if you talk with people any length of time, if you have the time, if you're not too busy on your way to and fro, and if you can take the time to tune in to what the Holy Spirit is saying and take a pause and maybe look around your sphere of influence at somebody that could potentially die without ever knowing Jesus and face an eternity without the presence of God. And if you could care about that for a second, you might just be the only Jesus, Ava, that they ever know in their entire life. You might be the only person that ever speaks that goodness of God, right? So maybe you say something like, do you believe in God? Has anyone ever talked to you about Jesus? And once you say Jesus, it's totally different because people believe in God in a lot of different ways. They can believe in Buddha. They can believe in Muhammad. They can believe in a lot of different gods. They can just be hedonist and believe in themselves. But when you say Jesus, it becomes offensive. Let it. Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. Jesus is the only God that's still alive. He's the only one that ever said he was the son of God. He's the only one that has a has an open grave with no body in it. Everybody else died. Muhammad, you want to find his grave? You can. It's marked. Buddha in the ground. But Jesus is alive, and he's still alive. People wouldn't give their lives for something fake. Not just a couple people, but lots and lots of people give their life for that. And I would too. My life is so transformed by his presence. Do you know God? Do you believe in God? Why or why not? Have you ever heard of Jesus? Let me tell you who he is. And you guys, if you don't know, keep on asking and keep on knocking and keep on seeking because like Stacy said, he is not a disappointer and he's not going to leave you without something to hold on to. You're his representation in the earth today. It's not like he's out on a date and you're in charge at home. He's on the throne ruling from heaven, waiting for the day that you cross that line of eternity or the day when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first and then we who all remain alive gather with him in the air and forever be with him. What? I love that kind of stuff. Is that fiction? I don't think so. I believe that all the way to my soul because either Jesus is who he says he was and he will do what he said he will do, or he's crazy. Look, go and tell John, the dead are raised, the deaf hear, blind eyes are open, the multitudes are fed. What do you need? He's the answer. 
He's always the answer. And maybe you don't even know the scripture. Maybe you think, well, what, what scripture? Like, where do I go? Look, you don't have to be polished. I, I was listening to a preacher that I really respect talk on these things because I try to listen to sermons if I'm getting ready to teach on something. You know, I'll just listen to someone that I respect. But their take on it was a witness is groomed. You know, if you're going to be a witness for a case, then you're going to know the facts and you're going to be groomed. You're going to be challenged. You know, we could do that. We could do some practice. Let's practice witnessing. Man, I can't stand that stuff. I'm here, and here's why. Every single soul is in a different place. You know, people, you can meet somebody, you can encounter somebody and have the biggest smile on their face, but inside their heart is wrenched, man. They're just torn. And you don't even, you don't know. You never know what somebody else is going through. So be slow to judge and slow to talk it down and quick to listen. Have an ear that can hear and a heart that cares about people and be the extension of God in the earth today. That's our job. That's what we're made for. That's why we're here. What are the scriptures? You know, people come around in a conversation like that kid did the other night. Oh, man, I can't walk into church, you know. I think Todd said it, you know, the doors didn't blow up or whatever. It didn't break down, so I guess I could stick around, you know. Well, I go, man, I get it. I get it. You know, mostly at ladies' events, women will come to me and say, but you don't know. You don't know what happened to me, and you don't know what I did. And I'll be like, yeah, no, I don't, but I know what I did, you know, and I know who I was, and I, I know where my heart is. I know how my, star, my heart still is, and I know the power of God to forgive, and I know the, the transforming power of God. The Bible says in Romans... 323. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We don't like to talk about sin. You know why? Because we've, we've removed it. We've made everything relative. You know, everything is relative to what I think and feel. Well, no, it isn't. We didn't write the book. We didn't make truth. We didn't create heaven and earth. We didn't die on a cross and rise from the dead. And when, when we do those things, you know what? We get to make the rules. So Jesus makes the rules. He's the creator. He's the rule maker. And he's the one who decides what is sin and what isn't sin. And once he says it, we don't have to defend that. All we do is say what he said. And his word is penetrating. His spirit moves within. That's not our job to bring salvation. It's our job to preach the gospel. What a privilege it is. Man, treasure in a jar of clay. That's what we carry around on the inside. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You look a little bit further they, we used to call this the Romans road when I was learning about how to, how to testify and how to witness. You know, and I've been in those kind of drills, and I've been in those practice witnessing kind of things. And, you know, if you need that, man, make, make a group. Find a place to do that. What I'm suggesting to you is that the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he will make you ready with the right words when you're facing the person that you need to face and not coming on like some arrogant dump truck coming on with the spirit of God in love that somebody might be moved and turned to him, you know. The second thing, you know, is here in it's John 3.16. We all know that one, right? I mean, if you've ever been around church or Sunday school, for God so loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believed in him would never die, but have eternal life. That's the promise of God for those who would believe, right? God didn't send a son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, Saved from what? Yourself, from your sin that separates you completely from God. There's a little, little ways down in Romans 5.8. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us, the love of God, and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. God loves sinners. He loves them. While we were still sinners, 
he died for us. You're not going to lay your life down for somebody that you don't love, you know. I think for the church, you know, we're, we've got this bad reputation for being critical and judgmental and fault-finding and complaining. Let's not be that. Let's be gentle, lovers of people, not lovers of sin. That's God's job. God can deal with somebody's sin. You know, Scott and I lived together for years. I know we're way over time. That's okay. You'll be all right. Someone told me, don't tell sheep what they're going to eat. Just feed them. And so I'm doing that this morning. So here's the thing. You know, God will give us the right words. God will speak the, speak the truth in love, as long as we're bold enough to understand that we have a calling on our lives to do it. And just, I'll leave this for you to look up this week in the book of Acts 21, I think it is, 21. And this is where Paul is, you know, he's being warned to not go to Jerusalem. Man, with great lengths. Great lengths. You guys can stand up. He's being warned by different prophets. There's a bunch of daughters in the house. They're all prophesying, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. You're going to die. They're crying on him. They're begging him, please don't go. Someone comes like 60 or some miles on camel, you know, to tell Paul, let me see your belt, Paul. He takes Paul's belt, binds his hands. He goes, this is going to happen to the man who goes to Jerusalem. And Paul says, thanks for the warning, but I'm going to do what God told me to do. And he does it. And Paul's going to face a lot of trouble when he's there. He goes there to be an encouragement. He's going there to preach the gospel. He's a church planner. He's an apostle. He has a message. But when he gets there, he gets arrested. You know, the crowd, there, there's some series of events. You guys go read this on your own time. But what ends up happening is he gets arrested. And the jailer, the Roman guard, says, man, are you, are you that Paul that, you know, you were a terrorist. You were stirring up some trouble over here. And he's like, no, I'm a Roman citizen. I just came to preach the gospel. Because I was blind, and then I could see again because Jesus came and, and had an amazing story. The crowd wants to kill him. They were already beating him. He's already been severely beaten. Now he's handcuffed. He's chained, and they're taking him to prison. And he speaks to the guard in his own dialect, and I thought that was important. He spoke a couple different languages. And he says, can I talk to the people? And then he talks to the people in their dialect. Paul has this way of being all things to all people. And you, you, you might find yourself in a conversation with people that don't look like you, they don't talk like you, they don't enjoy what you enjoy. Maybe that's who you work with. And maybe you've loathed their very presence because of that. But what if God has you sitting right in the spot that you're in? What, what if God ordained your steps? I'm saying that facetiously because he does. God ordains every step that we take. If you're in the room with somebody, he put you there. When you go out to lunch this afternoon, he set you in that place too. When you're talking with your family this afternoon, be a minister of reconciliation. Paul turns to the crowd and he speaks to them in a language they understand. And he starts to tell his own story. I used to persecute Christians. I persecuted the way of Jesus, but I fell off my high horse. And this guy named Ananias came and he told me the truth. And Paul shares his testimony. And because of it, people start to overcome, right? Be encouraged this morning, church. Be encouraged. You are the carriers of light. You are the ones that are going to set people on a straight path. You are a minister of reconciliation. You have the glory of God hidden in your earthen vessel. Phenomenal cosmic power. A little bitty living space. Go be salt and light. I love you. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to like and follow for the next installment of the Loft Podcast. 
If you want to be a partner with a lot, you can give on Givelify.com. If you need more information, check us out on Facebook or at theloftgathering.com. And of course, join us 10.30 Sunday mornings. Hope you have a great week. Till next time.